Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's July 20th, 2018. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. That's one small step for poker, one giant leap for poker podcasts. Is that your Bill Clinton impression? Yeah, I was doing Bill Clinton had he been the first person to step on the moon 49 years ago. <laughs> Man, 49 years ago, we landed on the moon. Oh, I didn't land on the moon. Maybe you did, but uh, I, America. I wasn't around. I'm not as old as you are, so I wasn't included <laughs> in my TV watching it like you were. So It was one year and two months before I was born, so <laughs> enough of those, hey... People put us stand next to each other. Guess who they think is older? <laughs> Mr. Graybeard. Well, they also think you're seven foot four and I'm four foot six, thanks <laughs> to the photo you put in the magazine every month too. So you know, yeah, that's people... about right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if we were standing up, it would look like that too. So I don't know what you want me to do about it. It's not my fault. I can't make you grow. Jeez. <laughs> oh man, but no, I, I love the space stuff. So that. Uh, it's always cool to watch the, the the repeat of that. I wish I wish I was a tadpole back then. And yeah, me too. It, but but uh, so we're just gonna have to celebrate other achievements today, like you there. know, our world championship yeah. is just going out here in uh, in California, and I'm up <laughs> yawning way early to do this show for you. So, um, but yeah, so uh, it's been a, been a great uh, couple of weeks already for the world championship. We got uh, a little less than two weeks left. Uh, entries continue to surpass expectations. We had more than 600 enter the midweek multi-flight dueling 125s, which is a brand new event we've uh, been uh, put on the schedule this time. Uh, usually Mondays and Tuesdays are kind of slow, so he's trying to perk it up a little bit. And I think by, again, 600 people in a multi-day flight in the middle of the week, that kind of worked, right? Yeah, I think so. So that was pretty cool. I think top prize was, uh, it ended up shopping, but top prize would have been 11000 So that's not bad for $125 buy-in, wow. right? Yeah, nice. Uh, um, the one victim we found out last night, though, is that's when the horse tournament was on the previous schedule. So we took it off to put this on, and then we realized yesterday there's no horse tournament this whole um, series. But there's a couple of Omaha events, including one I uh, entered. I won't say played last night. <laughs> uh, but uh, but you know, small price to pay for a uh, a very very busy midweek because you know normally these multi day events you do more of the weekends because you know people don't want to take time off of work um, to to finish out a tournament so to see six hundred show up for that is pretty good and I, and I it uh, you know talked to, to Ben a, a lot about this last night too I think uh, price points are important now you know that um, we went through this whole phase a couple years ago where every main event had to be five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars right. And now we're back down to more reality, where most main events are sixteen fifty. But you know, even those smaller events, you know, circuit events are still three forty or something. Which for a lot of players, it's not a big deal. But for a lot more, 
that is a big deal. So unless you're doing a lot of satellites to get people in, but I really do think people appreciate a you know 125, 150, 200 type buy-in. Yeah. Especially midweek. So that's been pretty good. There were more than a hundred and almost 130 in the Omaha last night, which is is phenomenal as well too. That exceeded expectations as well too on a Wednesday night. So. People were coming out and playing, so that's great. Um, this uh, player of the series is being hotly contested every day. Somebody else new takes over, it seems like. And uh, for good reason, the winner not only gets the main event seat for the World Championship uh, at the end of this series, but they're also going to get a seat in the main event of the Andy Poker Tour event in Atlantis in Reno next month. So two main events You are player of the year. So that's pretty cool. Um, as far as my playing, uh, hopefully we'll have something to report next week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I did play the, the Dual Wing 125, uh, the first flight in that, and uh, I moved chips like I've never moved chips in my life, Chris. So, you know, I kept thinking during that. Remember that uh, that plane ride we took back from uh, Louisiana? Uh, uh, no, from, uh, <laughs> from from Vegas one time with Nicolas Cage and Con Air. No, that's not one. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, with that player John that we knew for a while, and then he, I, remember, I always remember he, he kept telling me because uh, we were talking about John Racer on that flight, and he's like, "Man, John, I can't move chips around like John Racer can." And I didn't really understand what he meant by that, but this tournament, I was moving chips. I, I am a little rusty, you know, hadn't played a hand of poker since um, when I was out here in April um, and chopped that Omaha tournament. Brag, um, obvious brag. Yeah, of course you got to work that in. <clears throat> Uh, because I have nothing to brag about so far this trip. So. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Let me have my moment, right? Yep. Um, and uh, classic mistake, the tightest player at the table. I ended up letting her take most of my chips when I had top, top. You know, there's, there's just no way I'm good there, right? Um, got me down to 975 units, and I was like, yeah, boy. And then I built that back up and then lost it again and built it back up and lost it again. And then finally I went out like uh, 41st, I think, out of 140 people. Uh, with fourteen thousand units and got sucked out on to, oh. to go out, yeah. But you know, but I sucked out plenty to get to that point. So <laughs> that's one of the times you get up, you knock the table, and you're like, "All right, <laughs> karma got me." So that's all right. But but I've never moved chips like that before. It's actually kind of fun. It would have been more fun to actually bag and tag and come back and win some money. But but it was entertaining. That's that's the point of the whole thing is that you you seem to ride a roller coaster that you don't normally do. So. That must have been just worth the price of admission alone, just to learn from that experience and then have fun with it. Yeah, and it had the confidence to know that I could come back from it and not give up. Uh, yeah. you know, I see that from a lot of players, and it used to be me as well, too. But, you know, Peter, you're down like 975 at that point. You just shove on the next hands or whatever and just, you know, wow, fine, I'm out. But, um, uh, so it was nice to build back up. Now, I wish I would have had the same story in the Omaha last night. <laughs> Uh, just had had one hand where um, only one real hand that I thought I, I lost some chips on that I shouldn't have. I had um, flopped the nut low with ace four, which is usually pretty good, right? Yeah. And, and uh, two clubs, and I had uh, king clubs in my hand, and of course the turn was a club, and then I got all crazy with another guy, and then after the hand, of course when he turned over ace four of clubs, ordered. <laughs> oh. I realized that that was the only hand he could have where he was doing that. He, he's not an idiot player. And so if he had ace four, which is what I thought he did, I just thought I had the clubs that it makes sense that he would have the ace of clubs in his hand, right? So, uh, so I lost a lot of chips on that. But the rest of that, I just uh, just wasn't hitting hands. But uh, that's the way it is. So yeah. uh, um, uh, exited in a uh, monolith uh, satellite pretty quickly, but uh, we'll take another shot at that. But uh, got some so, cool, cool events still coming up. Uh, we got the uh, PLO eight 
um, next week, which you hate and I love. So I'm going to play that. And then, uh, of course, the head-to-head championship, which last year I made it almost to the Final Four. So high expectations for me. That's the big one. That's the one I can't wait for. That's the one where you, you seem to be really improving your game on, and you almost did it last year. So that's the one I'm really looking forward to hearing about. And it was fun, too, because I, I was watching, we'll talk about this a little later, but I was watching the uh, big one for one drop um, final uh, with the heads-up match, which was really cool. And then they replayed it yesterday during the Omaha event, so I watched it again. <laughs> so it was kind of cool to watch uh, watch those two players play heads-up. So we'll see whether I learned anything or not. So, um, And there's to remind you, live updates are being posted by Holder Radio's Dan Ross, who is our new, new Northern California ambassador at thundervalleyresort.com slash casino slash poker slash blog. Lots of slashes. Yes. And also on the uh, at TV Poker Room Twitter feed and more information on the series, including the schedule, is at antiupmagazine.com slash world championship. But still a lot of poker to play out here, so come out and say hi. Very cool. All right, John Sin is the new world champion after finishing 11th in the World Series poker event two years ago. Uh, he outlasted Tony Miles in a 10-hour, 199-hand heads-up finale. They couldn't play one more hand, Chris. I know. What the hell? And, I, really, I would have, if I was sitting, I was like, you know, all right, dude, I, I won, I want to win, but let's play one more hand. This one's 200. <laughs> <laughs> did you see it live at all, or did you just uh, find out about I, it? Or The only thing I've actually saw live was the uh, the big one for one drop, but uh, okay. but I was following it kind of on the phone, but I, I did not get to see the final hand of that. In fact, actually, I woke up in the morning, and I usually expect that that's when my update's going to be. Well, I was on the East Coast at that point, not the West Coast. And I'm like, oh my god, this thing's not over yet. Yeah. <laughs> now I know why. It took ten hours to play heads up. So, um, but a good story. I love somebody that that finished eleventh a couple years ago. And then you think, you know, once you hit that level, you're never going to make it back, right? Yeah. Because every series after that, you start at seven thousand. You have to work your way back to. So not only to get back to that point and get past that point, but then they actually close the deal. That's that's pretty exciting for. Uh, Mr. Sin, I guess we call him Mr. now because he's a champion. <laughs> he's our ambassador now of the game. <laughs> uh, a couple other things about this, too. Uh, 2009 World Champion Joe Cotta finished fifth but wasn't done yet, the World Series of Poker. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. And uh, there's a Hollywood movie hand that whittled the field down at the final table as Nick Mannion shoved with pocket aces after, oh, boy. Mr. Zoo. <laughs> I was going to say Yuigi, but then you're going to say, that's not a G, that's a Q. Um, is this the same guy, too, by the way? I don't know. I might be. Right. Um, Ed shut with pocket kings after Antoine Labat raised with pocket kings. Crazy, right? Yeah. And Labat called both shoves. The aces held. Mannion became the chip leader. Zoo was eliminated in 10th, and Labat was crippled. So crazy hand that people are going to be talking about for a long time. Can't you fold there? I don't, I don't know. I don't really know the statistics of the, or the – you know the stack sizes and everything, but if if you're a little back, can't you fold there with kings? I mean, all right, really? I'll say this: um, there's been a lot of people saying that. Um, I, I agree with that, but every time I hear somebody say it, I picture the you know the uh, Steelers fan sitting on the couch like 400 pounds, eating chips and drinking beer, telling Ben Roethlisberger how to throw a ball, right? Yeah. <laughs> and none of us were there. This is a high pressure situation playing for a lot of money and um so who knows what goes through these people head i mean we, we talked about this a lot um in the last couple of days after watching the big one for one drop that um just the, the things going on in like justin bonomo's head and these other players head are beyond our comprehension as players i think at this point so um i don't know it, it from the on the surface yeah it does seem like at this point that that's that's a fold that you need to be able to make at that level but 
hey, far for, far for me to criticize somebody who's way better at this game than I am in a high-pressure situation. Usually, these high-pressure situations rely on people folding. Like, usually that, like, I don't know how many years ago it was, but we were watching that. I think it was when uh, um, Jamie won the main event, and it was like that hand where the other guy were like, how could you not call there? And, you know, because he had the flush draw and everything else. And, and then, you know, later on you look back at it and you're like, yeah, that was probably the pressure of the situation that made him fold. But in this case, the guy called. And I thought, wow, somebody's got to have aces there. And if, even if you're wrong and the other guy goes out and you fold, you know, you're still making the final table. You're still making that million bucks. Now he makes the final table and makes the million bucks, but he goes out, you know, last, basically, uh, at that final table. And I don't know. I just, I just, and I'm not. Like you said, I, I I can't even comprehend what goes through these guys' heads. It just seems like in that situation, I mean, I folded pocket kings, you know, in a free roll. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it just <laughs> because you know that you're beat. You know that you're beat. And in that situation, you want to make history. You want to make the final table. You want to make a million bucks. And there's no reason to call if you think someone else is – if somebody's got an ace in their hand there, you, now you're racing four cards instead of two with kings. And – Somebody's got to have aces there, and if not, somebody probably has kings. You know, yeah. it's just I guess that's what crazy. I'm thinking. Is somebody has kings, so now you're you're putting a lot of chips in there to tie, and then yeah. with a small chance that maybe you're wrong on what they have and actually might win. I mean, I, I guess here's the thing: is that you, if you get a chance this close uh, to the final table to take out two players, I think that's so tempting, and that's probably what happened, right? You're looking at that, you probably thought hey thought all the same things that we just mentioned but like man i got a chance to take out two players here um so you know it's the ability don't be a hero thing i guess yeah. but, uh but that's pretty big i mean it's not just about accumulating ships at this point it's about eliminating every person you knock out get you closer to being the world champion right so mm-hmm. if you guys knock two people out that's pretty strong um and, and maybe he thought he was just going to tie with somebody, and it ended up being tying with the wrong person, um, and, and not being as crippled as he was. But imagine uh, if it was still when they were doing the delay, November nine, and he had knocked him out. It would have been November eight. Yeah, that would have, right. right. There would have been eight left um, if he had won. That's just weird. But yeah, I mean, and I'm not, and, and this is not a criticism of him. I just thought, can't you fold there? I, I like I said, I didn't see the moment, you know. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know what the chip stacks were, but obviously he was crippled. And it really hurt his chances after that. And I just thought, wow, can't you fold there in that moment? But I don't know. I'm not criticizing him. I just wondered how you can't fold there. If- no, no. I mean, I think it's a fair criticism to have. I'm, I was I was just making kind of a funny joke that it's always the people at the table that you, I just, like, bluffed out of a big pot that was super easy. They're like, oh, my God, that guy should have folded. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but... Did uh, you... Have you heard any talk about uh, Johnson's call at the end and how they were people were debating whether or not it really was a slow roll because he had trip kings and and uh even no, 20 no, miles went up to him and was like you slow rolled me and then walked away from him and yeah but i, I did see that miles apologized to him right uh later so but uh no i haven't uh well actually a lot of talk about the world championship out here although that happened um a couple of days before i got out here right so. that's true too i just people curious him, so. i mean i i don't think it was a slow roll and he even says it in there he's like dude i'm not slow rolling you i'm 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 just I can picture. He, I think he was saying he could put him on Ace King. It's possible to put him on Ace King, and then he's, he obviously would not win the world title had he makes that. Have he makes that call and loses, so he wasn't slow rolling him. He really was just being super cautious. And and I watched the final part of it, and I just thought, yeah, I don't think he was slow rolling him at all. I think he just wanted to 
real. It was a big decision for basically his tournament life. He's just going to be the world champion, or he's not going to be the world champion based on this hand. There was just no, there's no rallying from that if he lost. So um, right. I'm just curious if you've been if they've been talking about it still at the tables today, but I guess not. No, I, I probably missed a couple of days we were talking about then and all the okay. focus switch to to Bonimo. All right, so here's more. Uh, the World Series was not just ending with the World Championship, but there's all kinds of more that happened. Um, uh, so Scott Bowman, uh, who won a bracelet earlier this summer, finished third in Event 69. That was a $3,000 PLO six-handed for his 11th cash and fourth final table of the series. That's not a bad run. Yeah, that's crazy. Phil Homeyuth added to his World Series records with his 15th career World Series bracelet and 134th cash by winning Event 71, the $5,000 No Limit Hold'em Turbo. John Deeb won his second bracelet of the summer and his fourth overall in Event 74, $10,000 No Limit Hold'em Six-Handed Championship. Still now he's going to pay me. <laughs> right? I mean, now he's won two bracelets in one summer. I'm getting my 50 bucks. <laughs> uh, as we mentioned before, Joe Cotto, fresh off finishing fifth in the main event, won Event 75, $1,500 No Limit Hold'em Turbo Closer, which, as with Deeb, was his second of the summer and his fourth overall. And Justin Bonomo continued one of the most amazing years a player has ever had, winning event 78, the $1 million big one for one drop for his second bracelet of the year and earning $10 million to push his lifetime earnings above $42 million, most of any poker player. This year alone, Bonomo has won nearly $25 million, which would be good enough for ninth on the all-time list. And first-time eligible John World Hennigan and noted poker television production executive Maury S. Scandani were inducted into the Poker Hall of Fame last week. Wow. Where do we start with all this good stuff? Uh, let's start with Cata. Uh, How remarkable is that? And it's funny because <clears throat> you and I talk about this every year that is anyone going to win two bracelets this year? It happens all the time. We had to wait until Deeb yeah, did it. Late, right? Yeah. right, yeah. It wasn't until 74 until somebody did it, and then boom, 75, Cata does it too, and then boom, Bonomo does it again. I mean, it was like in the last four events – Three of the three of the guys won double bracelets after the whole series of nobody doing it, so that was pretty remarkable. But Kata, that this kid's got game, man. And for the longest time, people were like, eh, "You know, he got lucky." And no way. I mean, I know it's been ten years since his last one, basically, you know, nine nine and a half, ten years. But he's won a bracelet in between. He won two now, and he makes the final table of the main event. He had to get through 14,000 people at his two main event final tables to do what he did. Remarkable. Just remarkable. If he's not player of the year, I don't know who is, as far as World Series, not of the whole yeah, year. Yeah, because I didn't check to see what the final points were on that. But uh, Well, but it won't be, right, because they got to wait for the WSOP Europe and stuff still. I don't oh, think there is right. a final that's, thing. Yeah. But he, if he right. doesn't that's... win, there's something wrong with that. To me. Well, there's been a lot of good players this year, but yeah, I think you're right. He is. He's had a phenomenal summer, and you know, go back to the conversation we had la- uh, last week or the week before about you know what's more impressive, winning three consecutive bracelets in three years or three in the same year. And you know, I argued that if you do it over a couple of years, that shows consistency rather than a hot streak. I think what what Joe's accomplished here is both, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's obviously playing uh, the best poker of his life right now, but he's been consistently playing the best poker of his life for um, 10 years now. So um, that's really, really impressive to see. You know what's remarkable, too, is he – I don't know how he did it. I mean, think about this. All right, so the World Series is a long, drawn-out thing. But when you get to that main event, you're kind of done. 
You know what I mean? And if you get to the end of the main event, you're you're supremely done. I mean, you've got to be mentally and physically exhausted. Not to mention, I mean, he was trying to pull off the greatest double main event championship of all time. These other guys, when they compared it to like when Johnny Moss won two or whatever and then won three, but he beat like 25 people to win three bracelets. You yeah. know what I mean? When you think about the other guys, they didn't even beat a thousand people total for their two titles. And then you look at what this guy would have had to have done had he won it. So then when that's all done, he's like, hey, you know what? I think we'll hop in this closer turbo. <laughs> even though I just played poker for nine straight days and, you know, he just, and it wins it. And then wins it. It's just phenomenal. Phenomenal poker player. And he's only 30 and he's got four already. It's just remarkable. Remarkable, remarkable run. Congratulations, man. Unbelievable. The other thing, too, is I got to think there's a little bit of disappointment in finishing fifth. I mean, it sounds crazy. All of us would be ecstatic to finish fifth in the main event, right? But, you know, because I think you're right. He was he was looking to, to etch his name in history by winning two, and then you go out in fifth. I think there's got to be somewhat of a letdown there, right? Yeah. And so either you can choose to shut down or he could just jump back into another game, another tournament, and he chose to jump back in another tournament and then won it. So that was quite impressive. It's phenomenal. And then Bonomo, my goodness. I mean, that's just crazy. He he won $25 million basically this year, and it's only July. And, and again, he's another guy that's 30. So, I mean, it's just crazy. If yeah. $2 million won, at the, and that's just tournaments. Yeah. Um, by the age of thirty, I don't think I won more than four hundred twenty dollars poker by by the time I was age thirty. So um, phenomenal, um, really fun to watch this one. Again, I I didn't get to watch much else, but I did get to watch the, the end of this. It was a little hard because you know I'm forty six and I've got eyes of a seventy six year old, so it's hard to make out the cards on TV when I was sitting at the tables. But right, um, but one of the most impressive things to me is just that you can. I was watching like the players play right uh which is really cool you know when you and you can't see the cards you don't really know what's going on you focus on what you can focus on and i was focusing on their eyes and their body and um you could just tell how much thought that bottom was putting into every single play and then if you read the um the the champion article on uh, wsop.com he talked about how he's never played for this much money before, and he really took a lot of time to study and really took care of himself through the entire thing and put a lot of thought into it. And I think that was evident for me just watching it. Um, at, uh, you know, all these times, these people take as much time as they can. Of course, they had a shot clock in this event, too, so you couldn't take a lot of time. But um, you could just see his brain was just constantly going. And not just his, but uh, the Harry Potter guy that he beat, too. Um, uh, they both were, were phenomenal players. And the other thing I thought was really interesting, again, I watched this twice, um, the the heads-up match was, was fantastic. One, $10 million in cash sitting on the table. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We've seen stuff like that before, but I don't know if there's ever been $10 million on the table like that um I, I maybe when jamie gold won and it was more than that but um you know, you know it's a big difference from the old days of binions where they had the uh the two overweight security guards and the brown outfits and the paper box and the rifle yeah the paper box and the rifles yeah shotgun walking through there you know because some, some guy's gonna rob it all I'm, I'm glad the guy has a shotgun has to double pump the, 
<laughs> to pop them. Yeah, great thing. Um, that was always quite cool to see, but um, but just to see that. In my, I mean, they had to actually literally look around the stack of money to see each other at yeah. the table. Yeah, I'm sure they did that, that for the TV thing, but I'm like, <laughs> you see Bonmo thinking for a while, and then he had to like, peer over this pile of money to look at <laughs> At Fedora, uh, and I'm like, wow, that was that was kind of cool. Um, but uh, every time they were all in, they both went to their, their respective little um, crowds there, right, and watched on the right. And um, particularly Fedora always had a smile on his face. He was just happy to be there. I mean, obviously, if he would have won, he would have vaulted to number two on the money list. Um, as it is, he ended up fourth or fifth or something like that, I think. Uh, but he just seemed like he was enjoying himself and. A high pressure thing, and even uh, Bonomo, he you can see like, this release on him when he finally won. Um, but you know, the, they traded the lead back and forth, and every time they uh, they would sit back down and get back to work. <laughs> That's just the way it is. It heads up, I think. Is it is it weird? This is an overall thing now. Is it weird that one, the main event is not the last event, and two, that the main event is not paying the most money to the winner? Like it's just bizarre to me that there's an event that pays ten million to the winner and it's not the main event, and then that that there's an event that ends the World Series that's not the main event. Is it is it just weird, or am I just saying it's well, the evolution of the game? I, normally, I would say I would agree with you on that. Um, I would say though, if you're going to end it with anything other than the main event, it has to be this one, right? Yeah. You know, I think you know there's again a lot of chatter at the table this week about you know who can afford to put a million dollars down in the tournament. Yeah, it turns out there's only 27 of them, and two of them joined late on day two. <laughs> so it took them a Jeez. little time to raise the money to get Scratch, in, right? Yeah. So that's pretty uh, impressive. Um, and so, I mean, you're you're playing for a lot more money at that point. I mean, it, it's still impressive to me that it's a $10,000 buy-in, which is still beyond your and I um, uh, financial means to jump in the main event. Um, but you still get more than 7,000 people to do that. So that's pretty cool. But to get 27 people to put down a million dollars, we're only, I think, three or four got paid, right? Yeah. Um, that, that's a pretty big deal. So it, it is a big event. It's, you know, you're supposed to be around the main, everything should be focused on the main event. But uh, but they're going to end it with something else. This is what the way to do it. I think before when they had this, they put it in the middle of the series, right? So um I, I liked if they I, and i don't know what this what the this is what the thought process uh with the world series people when they decided to add a bunch of events after the main event this year or not but i would like to think that part of that thought process is okay if we're going to add a bunch of events after the main event we need to put a signature event the very last one um and it wasn't really because there's was one called the closer that joe won but um this is the one that ended up ending it um so it, i i'd like to think that they thought this through and thought that this would be a cool way to end it yeah, it just seems weird when you think the main event is the culmination of the tournament series, and then you know put this one somewhere in the middle when there's sort of a lull between events thirty-five and thirty-six or something because it's halfway, you know, or something. But to me, it's like you're getting <clears throat> you've got this huge thing. You've just crowned a world champion. You don't you don't need any more buzz. You don't need any more publicity. You just crowned a world champion after a month and a half of events. You know what I mean? You need something in the middle somewhere to keep it going to me. I, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, much smarter minds than mine are running the World Series. They're just saying, it just seems to me they didn't need that that boost at the end. They don't need it. They got the World Series main event running, and that's the biggest story of all. That's the one that makes the news. You know what I mean? So it just seems like put this other one in the middle somewhere, like they used to do, to give you a spark in the middle. 
And then, well, let me ask you know, this: as the average uh, ESPN channel flipper, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you flip around and you see poker, and you're like, "All right, I've seen poker before. I need to see it." But then you hear Lon McCarron say, "Everybody in this tournament has bought in for one million dollars and ten million dollars to the winner." That might be. Uh, and then I, I <clears throat> that more than I would. But it's it's it's. Play. I'm not questioning whether they'll stop to watch it. It's. I want them to watch it in the middle when it's boring and lull. Yeah, At the end, right. we've already got the excitement. We've already got the buzz. You've got everyone watching because it's the main event, and somebody's going to win eight million. And they played over seven thousand people, and they played over two weeks, and that they've already got the culmination. You know, now you don't need any more people coming in to watch. They've all watched it already two days ago. Or three days ago, and it peaked, and it was it was the culmination of your thing. The whole reason you play this whole series is for the main event at the end to to cap the champion of all of them, and then you're like, oh, by the way, we get this other one where all these guys who can afford it can buy him for a million. Okay, well that seems like it's a charity thing, and it's made for TV. So put it in a mill somewhere when they're playing one thousand dollar events and no one's watching. You know, I don't know. It just seems yeah. to me that it, there's no reason to have double buzz at the end. It's overkill. You know. Well, we have more World Series stuff to talk about, but the last thing I guess I'll say is that um, you know you can't guarantee that that main event is going to be exciting, right? When you have seventy four hundred people or whatever it is um, sign up, you know we got lucky this year that uh, that Joe made it at the final table, but that was really the only big story, right? Whereas you know with the big one for one drop that everybody that enters has a story, right? Yeah. Either a big time pro that people know. Or they're super rich dude that has a million dollars to burn. Um, so you're guaranteed good TV with that one, where you never know what you can get with it. And so that might be something that's part of it as well too. But um, so let's talk about Phil Hellmuth for a little bit. So winning this bracelet does this help take care of the the little situation he had during the main event, or does it hurt it? Uh, I think it. I think it uh, helps. I. I you know, anything that puts him in a positive headline light can't hurt him, you know. Uh, if people will show just how remarkable it is, and then they'll they'll say, well, it is pretty remarkable. We'll look the other way on his personality or or whatever. And it's sort of, I mean, how often does that happen when the guy makes an error that costs a run, and then the bottom half of the inning he gets up and hits a home run to win the game? You forget about the error that he... You know, so I think it helps. I, I don't think I, I don't know how it would hurt him. I mean, people might say, no, I, I just don't know. I mean, I don't know how it would hurt him. I, well, I guess the only thing I think you're right. I think it is. It, it's just you know reminding people just how phenomenal of a Nolan Holdem player he is. Uh, I guess the reason I asked the question is that you know you get a lot of people kind of disappointed in his antics that that cost that player a tournament um and then he turns around and wins another one you know you don't always like the smartest kid in class right or the uh, the uh the best quarterback you know sometimes you you kind of like root for them to lose a little bit so then after they do something that's disappointing and tends to get away from Way with it, which is what we discussed before, right? And then they turn around and win again, and then everybody's celebrating them for being great. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think a lot of people will probably look at it that way, but I was just curious because I imagine some people probably would look at yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, way. there's no way he's going away, so he might as well win while he's here. You know what I mean? That's the way I look at it. There's no way he's going to, he's not going to be like, oh, I'm so distraught over what I did to that guy that I'm never going to play. I'm going to retire and go into a hole like, you know. Bobby Fisher. I mean, he, he's not going to go away. He's he's always going to be loud. He's always going to be obnoxious, and he's always going to be around. And I think that 
he might as well win while he's doing it. And it is unbelievable. I mean, he's. I mean, you know, they say in football, if you're up by a touchdown, you score again. They say the team is is going away with it now, or, or pulling away, or whatever. In this case, I mean, he he did that three bracelets ago. I mean, he's got a five bracelet lead over yeah. three other guys now. And, Legend, yeah, and a couple that won't be playing anymore, or at least one that won't yeah, be playing. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I have no chance of ever catching him. So yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how good he is at this game, or at least at Hold'em. I know he has one non or whatever, but at Hold'em, he's just he's just phenomenal. And the other thing too is, I, and it's funny, Jeannie and I walk every day in the morning, and when this stuff was going on, like Cata uh, and, and Helmuth winning this, I said to her, I said, you know. Uh, it's it's remarkable what Helmut is doing. Obviously, I said, but had a you know Doyle Brunson or Johnny Chan realized that one these bracelets were going to be something of value later on, and two if they had a chance to play seventy eight events in their prime, right, right, and right. you know I mean Helmut got to, he won that when you you said it yourself you saw on TV this guy looks just like me some young kid with a collared shirt on when he won his first main event, you know, so he's had, you know, basically 30 years to do all this in, you know, and the, and the boom happened relatively soon after that, a decade later, I yeah, guess, but halfway through this, his run. Yeah. yeah his, you know what I mean? So he's still in his prime of playing. He's only in his what, early fifties. So, you know, he's still got plenty of time left and he had the luxury of being able to play. And I'll granted he's got to beat 7,000 people, 3,000 people, whatever it is to win his bracelets, but he's got 70 chances to do it every year now. And, you know, he took it seriously enough to enter all the events. Back then, those guys, when they first started the series and stuff, they, they played the main event, but they didn't even play the events. They were like, I'm not playing the World Series. I'm just here for the cash games. All they wanted was money. Now, all they want are bracelets. It's hilarious, the, the swap. Well, they probably want the money, too, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they do, but how many of the big name pros who are trying to get into that upper echelon of double digit wins or something. Those are the guys that are like, you know, the money is always going to be there. Cause I have the big game I'll play in, but I really want the bracelet, you know? And, and these guys, you know, just to me, yeah, it is remarkable what he did, but if you give, you know, if you give, uh, Doyle Brunson, his prime back and you give him 70 events a year for 30 years or 20 years, he's going to have 20 bracelets too. You know, so it's interesting, but it is remarkable. There's no doubting how f- phenomenal Phil Helmuth is at at Nolan and Hold'em. Well, the other thing too is the pressure's on. He's going to have to keep winning here because there's a whole wave of players here that are going to obliterate 15 bracelets. I think. You know? Yeah, it, it's very possible. Like we said, look at Kata. He's got four by the age of 30. Yeah, and same with Bonomo and, and some of the other ones. Though, so, I mean, they got 20 more years to pick up another 11 here, and they're winning two a year now. It seems yeah, like. and you can't so, forget Ivy either. Ivy has 10, and he's still young. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, so. so, but yeah, just as young as people are starting now and doing well, um, you know, I think you know that this isn't a Cy Young award that's never going to be broken. You know, this is going to be broken at some point yeah. in the future, but. All right, one more thing we got to talk about is the uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, I think both of these players, uh, both of these, um, um, well, he's a player. It's just that he's yeah, more he's right. a player too, but he just he's in for more being TV than anything. Uh, certainly, both these inductees are worthy, so I'm not disappointed. But uh, I think it's interesting. I don't think either one of us had both uh, either one of these on our list, did we? I I, I think we talked about if we were going to do your thing, where you had to have somebody who's not really in the game or somebody's international, all that stuff. We, I think we mentioned that we. would think to see like to see Maury in but I, I don't know if we did I, I Johnny World Hennigan you know I, how it, it is another weird thing too isn't it like 
when you think of people getting into the Hall of Fame, you think of them as not being playing anymore, you know, because the other sports. But Hennigan's right. having a fantastic, or had a fantastic World Series, uh, including a bracelet and a bunch of final tables, I think, too. And it's like, I'll be honest, I think poker is different than other things. I think it's harder to get in the in the Hall of Fame now if you're not still playing. I mean, people tend to forget. Uh, that's true. That's true. That's what you did. I mean, it was a couple of years ago they they inducted somebody that, that one of those early Johnny Moss players, right? Um, but that that's rare. It doesn't happen. I mean, it's it's Phil Ivies and people like that that are getting in now. So because you're, they're in the consciousness of what's going on, isn't so, that weird? It's just it's so bizarre. Because growing up as a sports fan and as a sports editor for twenty five years or whatever, you know, you cannot eligible to the Hall of Fame until you. You have to promise you quit, and then you have to stay quit for five years at least before you can be considered. Because I don't want to be embarrassed by saying this guy's in the Hall of Fame and now he's playing again. So oh, man, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna start using the hashtag "stay quit." Stay quit. <laughs> you <gotta> stay quit. <laughs> uh, so we got another couple other interesting things. I mean, this was his first time on the ballot for Hannigan too, and then he 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 gets inducted. I think this is kind of. Well, we, we've discussed our, what we think are the flaws in this this system. Um, you know, I guess the one thing you can argue is that it's a very exclusive club, right? Yeah. So they only nominate ten a year. They only induct two, and there are dozens and dozens of worthy um, inductees out there. So if you actually run that gauntlet and get in, um, it's it's even a bigger accomplishment than it already should be. Um, but I think it's interesting that I mean, it's not like Hennigan just showed up on the uh, poker circuit now, right? right. Mean, he, he was a big deal back when we first started this show, I mean, well before we started this show, right? Yeah. Um, so, I, I, I guess I'm trying to understand how it took him so long to get on the ballot and then once he gets on the ballot, he goes, oh yeah, well, let's, let's vote him in, right? That's a great point. That's It is kind of bizarre, isn't it? I mean, the fact that we know who, well, I mean, he's first time eligible, so what makes him first time eligible? Because well, first time they put him on, time, right? That's my words. First time on the ballot. First time on the ballot. Yeah, so that is bizarre. We've all yeah. known about Hennigan. He's got a handful of bracelets, and he's always in the big games, and he's done other events as well. It's not just the World Series where he's excelled. He's done well in the other tours and stuff. So, yeah, that's a great point. How does that happen? How does uh, well, he not I mean, get on and then get on the then- first try? Every year, like a couple people fall off, and a couple new people come on, and then the next year, those people fell off, come back on, and then somebody else falls out. It, it, it's just kind of fascinating to kind of track that. Actually, I mean, I need—I'm sure somebody has that on the web where it kind of tracks, you know, the nominees over the past several years just to watch that. But um, you would think that, as exclusive as this is now, that you would have to be on on and off the ballot um, a couple times before you finally get in. That you wouldn't just have somebody just finally make it and then oh yeah okay good he's in that's crazy that's crazy to think that this guy was overlooked for all this time and then we put him on and he's in he's like hello (laughs) how could he wasn't on earlier on the list that's just so weird it is so weird you think that that would be a criteria like you got an age limit or something to get on but that's not be 40 but uh but he's got to be over 40 oh yeah absolutely so yeah that's what i'm saying i mean there was no reason that he couldn't have been on before he just wasn't and then all of a sudden he finally gets on, and wow. he gets gets inducted, which is great for him. But it's just, you know, there's so many other players and personalities that have been on that ballot for, I mean, Savage has been on it for four years now, I think. So, um, and I'm sure some of those other ones have been on it longer or on and off, like I said. So, yeah. just just kind of interesting, I think. Yeah, happy, I'm happy for Maury, too. He was always really nice to me when uh, I wrote to him and stuff. Like, there was times where, back when, like, 
I think, uh, remember when uh, Poker After Dark was at its height? You know, I wrote him because well, I've emailed him before because we wanted to have him on the show and stuff like that back back in the day. But I was like, hey, you ever thought about having a podcast show? You know, the, the six po- most popular podcasts, and and he laughed, and you know, he got back and forth. And we talked a bunch, so he was really, really, you know, nice to me and stuff. So, but um, happy for them; they both deserve it, and of course, the other guys are deserving as well. But these two were were up and got in, so good, good stuff. Absolutely. Okay, each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we'll do with Call the Floor in the hand of the week, we send them something cool. This week's prize, a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. comes from Scott Strauff. He says, I've been listening to a lot of chatter on Twitter. How do you do that, by the way? How do you listen to chatter on Twitter? I, I don't know how you even read a lot of chatter on Twitter. <laughs> uh, he said, by big name pros, about an idea for a new World Series of Poker event next summer called the Mini Main. They've talked about it replacing the Colossus as an opener and talk of like a $1,500 buying with 30,000 starting chips and 90-minute levels. Just curious what your thoughts are on this. I I, to be honest with you, I don't see how this is really much different than any other event, other than, you know, I mean, I just don't see, and they just other than calling it the mini main, which a lot of properties do with their own series, they'll have a mini main, you know, either a month before or the beginning of the series or something. So that that's not unheard of either. But I don't I don't see how it's that much of a difference. Yeah, this, I answered that too. I think like our Pearl River events, they do a mini main early on uh, to get the people used to the structure and everything, but just at a smaller buy-in. Um, I had the world championship. I don't think um, it was called a mini main, but they did a you know like a mini NorCal or something like that. The same thing. I, I think the difference here is is that all right. So you're starting with the uh, less chips than you start in the main event. I think in the main event you started with fifty this year, right? Yeah, I think it was fifty. Yeah. Um, and I think there are two hour levels there. I, again, if I'm, I could be wrong, but they used to be. I'm but, sure they are. So, so this is not really a mini main now. You're just you're you're changing the chip stack. You're changing the, the whole idea of a mini main is to get used to the structure, right? Before yeah. you get in there. So, um, so if you change any of those things, then I think it just becomes another tournament, and that's fine. But you can't call it the mini main anymore. <laughs> just call it a double deep stack or a whatever, you know, whatever these weird names they want to come up with. So. Um, now, whether it replaces the classes or not, I mean, we already talked about how the classes is kind of seems to run its course. So, you know, it could be ripe for freshening or replacement. That's great, but I don't think you call it the if you call it the mini main. I think it has to be the same as everything in the main event, just at a smaller buy-in. And the problem with that is, is that you know the reason you're able to offer larger chip stacks and larger levels in the main event is because you're charging more. <laughs> rake yeah. uh, to get in to cover the cost I mean people have to remember that you know I'm sure the World Series makes a lot of money but there's a lot of expense involved in it too and you know so if you run a main event at eighth of the price now you're not going to get 7400 for this I don't think so I mean there's that argument but still uh, a tournament that's going to run that long you're going to end up losing money and you know that's not really what poker rooms are in the or companies are in the business of doing is losing money. So yeah, they got to be cost effective. They're they're paying all these dealers to stick around for two more three more days. You're going to lose all that money. So yeah, to me it just seems like it's another tournament. 
I, I, well, I, I mean, um, I guess the other thing is you can make the argument mini main is mini in every way, right? Yeah, so smaller buy-in, smaller price, chips, smaller levels. Chips, different levels. And everything is mini uh, Like, that was that stupid Matt Damon movie that no one went to see, right, with the downsizing, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so I guess that's fine. I just I, I don't know. I mean, is there going to be a buzz for that? Right? Let's say let's say we use the exact same thing he has. Your fifteen hundred dollar buy and thirty thousand starting at nine million. Where's the buzz there? I, yeah, I don't see the buzz. So yeah, I just don't see how it even really differs from other tournaments, other than maybe a little bit longer. Well, certainly more, more chips. Stacks. Yeah, yeah level, but, I mean, a little bit more. But yeah, there's but nothing I, creative. I don't think it's enough to get people like, oh my gosh, like like you know when the Colossus first came out, people were like, oh my god, I got to get out there and play that, right? Yeah, I just don't see if you did this thing. People are like, oh my god, I get out and play that. That's because again, think about this: most recreational players, the biggest turnoff of the main event is the levels. I mean, it's a slow tournament, right? Yeah, it goes on for weeks. Yeah, you know, most recreational players play a four-hour tournament, and if it goes five hours, they start to whine, right? Yeah, <laughs> so they want to chop and go to bed. It's already pretty long, um, and it should be. So I think if you put another event like that on the schedule, the recreational players going to get very excited about a week-long tournament. For fifteen hundred bucks, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Oh, interesting. But I, I'm going to predict the Colossus goes nowhere, and that <laughs> and that it stays right right where it Probably. is, and we'll still yeah. get five figures of people in it, ten, twelve, fifteen thousand people. But oh, we have a new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. We're playing PLO in our regular home game. The blinds are 50 cent, $1. It's a friendly atmosphere, but we take the game seriously. This is actually a mixed game, no limit hold'em and pot limit Omaha, but we're in the PLO round, and at this eight-handed table, there are probably only three that really understand this game. The blinds post, and we get two folds to us with the king of spades, queen of spades, Queen of clubs, ten of clubs. Good starting hand, we bump it to $3. It's folded to the small blind, who makes it $6 to go. Back to us, and we would like to see what happens after the flop. We call. We started the hand with about two twenty-five. This is the second round of PLO tonight, and we're about halfway through that. We've been playing for roughly 3 hours and 30 minutes. This game usually goes for 6 hours. The small blind is new to PLO and loves having four cards. He overvalues his hands and makes bluffs in bad spots. He started the hand with almost $200. There's $13 in the pot, and the flop is a beauty. The jack of spades, ten of hearts, nine of clubs comes down. The small blind bets $5. We have the nuts with middle pair and a bunch of backdoor draws. We bet pot. The small blind quickly calls. There's about $65 in the pot, and the turn is the five of spades. Our opponent checks. This might be our first mistake here, but we put out a $40 bet. Our opponent calls. There's $145 in the pot, and the river is the eight of spades. Our opponent shoves for roughly $125. So, our nut hand is now the second nuts. Is this an easy call? Easy fold? What's the move? It's time for the AdvancedPokerTrain.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antietmagazine.com. If you haven't 
won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Todd McGee sends a situation in, Chris. And uh, all right, he says, um, uh, in the recent seniors event at the World Series Poker Circuit Stop at Harris Cherokee, I encountered the following situation. After a really slow start, I had built my stack up to squiggly 40K in chips. The starting stack was 10,000. In level eight, uh, big blind is 800 at that point. Uh, so I was fairly deep. This was the last level of re-entry, and two new players had just sat down, including one who looked like he had already boarded the tilt train. <laughs> I guess we're using that one. <laughs> I was in the hijack and looked down at pocket sixes. Uh, the under the gun plus two player limped. Um, so I guess it's on us. Let's play it like I have the weekend as a situation. At some point, it'll... Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any reason to raise. Uh, we got one limper already. We got blinds. Um, a limp is fine here to try to hit a set. Um, you know, we're doing okay. We've got a deep enough stack. I mean, we can afford it. You can even afford a smallish raise maybe, but uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't see any reason to have to pop it here. Um, I'm just going to try to hit a set. Yeah, one of the deep, it's, it would, I would love to hit a set cheap and just take a lot of chips. So Yeah. Um, I also say that because I raised under the gun pocket sixes in that roller coaster. <laughs> I did <laughs> end up getting all in against pocket tens and, and um, <laughs> flop came 10 6x. Oh, jeez. Right? <laughs> so that was one of the hands where I lost a lot of chips. Up, but um, And then after that, I got pocket sevens under the gun and I limped in like a little church mouse. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right, so he says the undergun player limps, so I called, think I could set mine for cheap. He says there's been a lots of limping throughout us. This is typical in senior events. I guess us old guys are just cautious. Uh, <laughs> the small blind, one of the new guys, uh, completed, but the big blind, uh, he's the one that's uh, riding the Tilt Express, raised to 4,000. He says, given his dis- dis- yeah, given his demeanor, demeanor, <laughs> his demeanor, <laughs> given his demeanor, I had decided to call, uh, assuming the initial limper would fold. Um, instead, he shoved his squiggly nine k into the pot, and the action was back on me. So nine thousand the call here out of our forty thousand uh, stack. No, I don't think so. Oh, one. Um... We still have people to act behind us, so even though that's about 10% of our stack and something you might be willing to risk if you knew that was where the gambling was going to end and the betting was going to stop with that person and you were going to heads up, that's one thing you might consider something. But you only got pocket sixes. You got another guy in the hands on a Tilt Express. Um, I don't know how much that's going to cost him. I don't know how much the other guy has left, uh, but I I can't imagine calling nine grand with sixes with other people still left to act. I've done so well to get my stack up to 40 grand after a slow start. Uh, I'll just say, hey, you know what? I lost a small amount here of big blind calling, limping. That's all I lost here. Just get out of the way. Yeah, it just it, there's too much to invest in this at this point. Um, and again, we're at, at sixes too, so there's lots of overcards out there no matter what everybody has, right? Yeah. So, Even if you were ahead after, before the flop, you know, you're racing at least two guys. That's four yeah, cards. Eight. A lot, a lot of cards, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I think this is a, an easy fold. So, yeah. All right. He says, uh, knowing the big blind was pot committed and steaming, and with the small blind still to act, I decided to protect my stack and fold. I didn't think pocket sixes was worth risking 25% of my stack in what I figured would be at least a three way pot. As it turned out, both blinds called, and three players were all in the max stack size of maybe 11K, so it would have been a four way pot. <laughs> 
One had pocket fives. The other two each had played an ace. The flop had an ace, but the turn was a six. I would have racked up about 30K in chips and wiped out three players. Still think I made the right decision to fold. The pre-flop shove, knowing my pocket sixes would have been up against at least two other, uh, three other, as it turns out, players. Uh, But given that I was only risking 25% of my stack, I wonder if I wasn't too cautious. Had I lost, I still would have had around 30K, which would have been well around the ship average of squiggly 18K. Um, all right, so that last point is is interesting because I always use the ten percent rule, right? So that's that's why it was easy an easy fold for me. I still think that's the right decision, um, but you know, at thirty k, you get a pretty deep stack at that point, um, and as you mentioned, well above average. So um, maybe there is a case that we're a little bit too tight there. But. I don't know though, because I don't know that these guys that were behind him, I didn't know they had chip stacks that were maxing out at eleven grand. You know, um, but even then, no, I still, you're still flipping with three other players with sixes, and you, I don't think you have the right. I don't think 25 percent of your stack to win 30 grand is is the right pot odds there. I just don't mm-hmm. think it is. Even if all those guys did, and you don't know they're all going to shove, you don't know all that stuff's going to happen behind you, so you can't live. That's being results oriented, right? If I'm got the term correct, you're you're looking at the result and saying, "Oh, had I done this, I would have won thirty grand." But had you done that, they may not have shoved. Had you done that, you know what I mean? They may not have gone in with you. They don't know what you don't know what they would have done had you done what you. You know what I mean? There's no way to know. Second, if if it, the flop comes and your six isn't there. And somebody bets out, or you're out of it. You're done. You get out of the hand because an ace came on the flop, and then the six comes on the turn anyway. Now I realize these guys were. It looked like they were all in, all of them. I don't know if they were all in until the turn or not. I'm not sure, but um, there's just no way that I can justify calling at that point because you had people behind you, which I don't know if they're going to call or not to make it the right odds to do it. At this point, you're still looking at. There's one guy in the hand with you. There's one guy you think is going in. So you're racing at least four cards. As it turned out, you'd have been racing like eight cards. And you had sixes. I still don't... I understand that in the end, it was he would have had about 30 grand left. Which, you know, maybe a little less than that. If somebody had 11 grand, you were around 40. So, But that's not the point. I mean, the point is that you're making the best decision with the information you have in front of you. The information you have in front of you is you've got a guy who limped ahead of you and then shoved. Okay, so one he could be trapping, so you could you're already in your mind should think you're beat. Second, you got a tilt guy behind you, you know who's going to go in too. So now you know you're going up against four cards, two of which should be beating you because of the way he played the hand. Three, you have other people behind you to act too. So even if you were going to get the right odds in your mind at the end, you're going to go against eight cards. You're going to race eight cards. You think you have the right you know, odds to call with sixes? I don't think so. I think you made the right call. The full was the right thing to do. Yeah, I think we're only talking about this because... Oh, my partner's dying. Good thing we got insurance, right? You still paid your, you paid your policy, right? Oh, man. I'm getting choked up over this oh, one. Oh, I hope, hope, you, hope you paid your policy. Oh, but we're only talking about it because the six came on the turn, right? Yeah, yeah. <coughs> If that six doesn't come, Todd doesn't even worry about this hand, right? Right. He doesn't even play this hand or, or even or even send it into us. Right. You know, I think he just he's like, yeah, okay, you know, I, I would have lost on the flop, and this is just a regular old hand, and I folded when I was supposed to. But because the six came on the turn, he's sort of bitter about it, and then he did the math afterward and was like, oh, damn it, had I called, 
It would have only cost me eleven grand. I would have had twenty nine or twenty eight left, still above average. But no, you just you can't think that way. You can't have hindsight's always twenty twenty. But in um, the yeah, right, so, right, it's the right move at the right time when he made it. So it's always interesting to me when um, you fold something that you thought about, kind of like going out of the lines, right? And then it it hits magically, and then you get so upset, and then at the end of the hand, you see you would have lost everything you had. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in that uh, roller coaster tournament, I had four or five of diamonds under the gun, and I briefly thought about raising there because every once in a while I like to throw something like that out just to throw the cents off, right? And I'm like, eh, nah, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna be crazy. So I folded it. Um, would <laughs> have flopped the straight with it and I'm like and then action was crazy it was like a bet and a raise and three people in it and I'm just sitting there crying right <laughs> and then the board runs out clean I think and there's all kinds of raising and stuff and I'm like oh I'm getting sick in my stomach and then this guy at the other table turns over at the higher street oh, and wow. I, I was just so blind to it because I was like looking at it I'm like oh my gosh I can't believe my 4-5 would have flopped yeah, all, yeah. Like, that I totally missed that there was a higher straight out there, and I just would have been all in and obliterated. So it's interesting when you see those things where you're like, oh, my gosh, I really should have played that, even though you shouldn't. There's no reason I should have played four or five under the gun <laughs> yep. at all there. Yep. And to have it reinforced by having it hit, and then the poker gods reminding you, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> you really made the right choice. I'm like, okay, thank you. You're right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, think about it. The guy had to turn a two-outer to really win this hand. And he would have been sick to his stomach when the flop came. And like I said, I don't know if there was still betting remaining there either. I, I can't really tell by the way you described it. But if there was still betting remaining after the flop, you would have gotten out anyway again. And you would have lost, you know, nine grand or whatever at that point. So I, it's just the right move. Just got to move on. I agree. All right, buddy. Well, enjoy the rest of the world championship. And uh, hopefully you'll do better in the heads up. And we'll get to hear about that next week. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music.